title. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 13th, 2007. Newcomers should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, where they can download lots of the histories leading up to the position we find ourselves in today, the powers that be behind the scenes that actually run the scene, and they run all the visible parties that you tend to vote for worldwide. You can also go in to alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts which you can download in the various tongues of Europe and also Latin America. There are more getting added to it all the time because people across the planet are waking up in different stages, different degrees of understanding. And those who have been asking questions for a long time, it doesn't matter about age either, it doesn't matter, there's many young ones involved, notice that there's a tremendous pincer movement closing in on them from all around them. And this is across the planet. We have a standardized system of supposed security, which is literally robbing us of any freedoms that we think we have and creating a brand new system of obedience, obedience for the public or the subjects. Really, that's what they are in the system. It's a subject system. It used to always amaze me how the, the British citizens, who were really just inheritance uh, given to royalty generation to generation, uh, the citizens were called the subjects. They were subject to, on birth, the laws given out by the monarch. And nothing really has changed many disguises to, to hide the fact that very wealthy, very wealthy families with vast networking facilities and the money brokers all intermarried together and who have been for probably thousands of years are directing the world into the brave new world scenario uh, that Huxley talked about. And it's happening every day. There's articles out every single day on this system that's not just around the bend, it's actually uh, here, we're over the brink of it now, we haven't gone into the depth of it yet, but we're over the brink of it and even now there are people on mainstream television shows who are uh, airing their problems with their addictions to virtual world scenarios where they go into these virtual games, create a personality create friends, ideal friends relationships, they can build homes, they can buy the best car, all in a fantasy world, and they're addicted to it. All of their time goes into a virtual world, which is exactly what is planned, because it's been released in major media in Britain and in the U.S. that the defense departments already have a virtual world set up in the Internet, a true matrix system where all the data collected on you has been used to create a double of you. 
and with increasing encroachment on your personal lives, they'll have all the data on you. They already have been gathering it since they gave you the Internet from day one. Don't, don't ever believe that they're just now asking or demanding that servers provide all information to them. The, the Pentagon gave us the Internet. The military-industrial complex had it before we even heard of it. This is well known at the time in the right circles. And they were collecting data from day one. Even before that, all through the Cold War, as they called the supposed Cold War between the West and the Soviet system, you, you found that even your letters were being read back then because Peter Wright, who worked for MI5 and 6, discussed it in his book, Spy Catcher. We've never really had freedom, and those who control the world gave us a thing called democracy, something, a placebo, you might say, something which we were trained to believe in, to, to make us believe we had rights. And that way we went along with everything they gave us. It was the same old game, war after war, only this time we thought we were volunteering for military and when we got drafted, well, we had to get drafted because to remain free, uh, which will often kill people. And this is the same old con game under another guise. And uh, this came out in the 1800s. I've been over this a few times, but it's so important that people have to understand it. Because the system that was upgraded to control our minds, our lives, and the future was given royal charters to exist in Britain under the guise of private organizations like the Cecil Rhodes Foundation which became the Royal Institute for International Affairs which gave us its non-Commonwealth its non-British Commonwealth countries the titles of Council on Foreign Relations intertwined with big foundations that the public thought were just charitable institutions set up by multi-billionaires Nothing is further from the truth. These were all fronts of a singular power system because you direct the world through big foundations and through movements, mass movements of people. So for every conflict in civic life and so on, they give you the leaders who start up organizations, the pro and the con, the for war, the against war pro-nuclear war or proliferation, anti-nuclear proliferation, and so on and so on. They give you leaders for all sides, and you find they're all funded by the same puppet masters. The same thing happened with labor leaders. They're all on the payroll of the Council on Foreign Relations, and they're all Institute for International Affairs. The Center for Strategic and International Studies publishes a lot of the meetings they have for the unification of the Americas. Who happened? Who is this group? Well, it's the same thing. It's just another branch of the same group. And right in there it tells you they have international meetings with some politicians, many top business leaders, such as CEOs of the, the multi or international corporations and labor leaders. Most of them are unelected. And that's your key. We don't have uh, anything called democracy.
control with Hashem, which has been Hashem from day one, because they found it necessary to make the people believe they had rights. Otherwise, there'd been riot after riot, and you would have continuations of the French Revolution over and over and over again. Much better to make them believe they had freedom and keep the old system going. I grew up in Britain knowing this system existed, having a tremendous desire to know from a very early age because I always wondered why a system that, that was so proud of a British empire had over 90% of the public renting their accommodations after centuries of plundering the planet. It wasn't too hard to find out the beginnings of this system or the continuations of the system because every so often down through the centuries it pops its head up and makes declarations. These declarations are simply them telling each other that there's another phase coming in. Much like George Bruce Sr. on September the 11th, 1990, and then on September the 11th, 1991, stating he could see a new world order coming into view. Use terms, numbers, symbols, and they speak to each other in a language which the public think they understand but don't understand at all. The British Empire, you have to understand, had almost three quarters of the planet. And they also knew, too, it's hard to drive slaves to produce well. They don't put their heart into it. And so it was decided before World War II, when they knew they were going to have another war to bring the world to its knees, that they would have what they called emerging nation status for those countries, but not before they'd set up the same type of system in that country by training a generation and bringing them up to a higher middle class standard, upper middle class, and leaving them in charge. In other words, they would be an arm of Britain. They also knew they'd have to hand the reins over to the U.S. because they provide the tax base for the upcoming conflicts to conquer the world. It's hard for most people today to understand their whole culture, their entire culture, and what it is to be human. The definition to be human in today's culture was given to you by the culture creators at the top. The way we treat each other is a form of a business contract. And in a, a supply and demand system, when you have lots of the supply, and people shop for that which is supposed to make them happy, they shop for people in the same manner. And that's why there is so much disaster in society. They don't know how to bond with each other anymore. And that was deliberately introduced into society because the family unit, which had served the system so well by breeding slaves for every generation, for century after century, it was decided the family unit could 
now become a problem because it represents a miniature tribe. And the government, to be all-powerful, must have everyone isolated from everyone else so that Big Brother can talk down directly to you and no one is there to stand up for you. That was always the intent of it. George Orwell understood this perfectly well and put it into his book, 1984. The book was actually supposed to be called The Last Man. Because towards the end, as he's being tortured, O'Brien asks Winston, What are you? He says, Winston says, I'm a man. And O'Brien says, Well, if you're a man, you're the last man. And there was anyone who'd stand up against total corruption and cruel tyranny it would have to be a true man and therefore the whole understanding of masculinity has pretty well been distorted warped out of proportion and very nearly destroyed I saw it even happening in the 80s when even the groups the bands the music uh, suddenly changed nothing happens in music or art of any kind uh, without it being directed from the top down to the people every writer knows what's in, what's out, what's coming and what to push some writers manage to get around this political correctness because of enough skill to do so most don't, most jump on the bandwagon and prostitute themselves for money. But in the 80s, they brought on the new transsexual type of musicians that became the sudden rage because then they had to start distorting what masculinity was and had done a very good job of it. Men today are almost superfluous and the, the standard man is superfluous in this system science has bypassed him and there's tremendous pushes on not coming from the grassroots again don't ever believe it's from grassroots organizations but from the top down to re-engineer society in the manner that Aldo Huxley talked about and neither did Huxley dream this up he didn't dream up a brave new world and published that in the 1930s without having inside information of sciences that already existed and the direction it's going to take society. The elite have always dreamed of a utopia which have made the public, many sectors of the public, work towards even, especially the working classes who were given their heroes to follow. But the utopias never really took form or materialized but we're looking from the wrong side because the utopia was meant to be for the elite themselves a world where they could breed new types of slaves and servants to suit them and serve them better slaves that would not need much to be kept happy and we're back with more after the following messages
politics, cover-ups, government corruption. You're listening to We the People Radio Network. WTPRN. of governments 
up until the temporary boom they gave the public after World War II. Very temporary again in Britain and other countries because uh, they had already agreed to give the manufacturing industries away, take them out of those countries, de-industrialize those countries. And they really only kept those countries going during this part of the agenda with massive welfare systems and high taxations and wages and price fixations and all of these little tricks of economists. Europe now has been given a charter, just announced a charter, a united Europe, with its own charter, which the people did not want. I don't think there's a single country, or as the United Nations would say, a state that was for uh, this charter. Even had uh, a lot of money spent on a new flag for this happy new family and a new national anthem, which they'd brainwash all the children to swear allegiance to in case they had to go off and fight in future wars. That's what anthems are for. And that's what flags are for as well. A flag is just a standard of warfare that used to stick in the ground. And that would be your side, and your enemy's flag would be stuck in their side over there. That was the whole con game. And if you won, you would steal the enemy's flag and stick it up in your castle as a trophy inside the officer's mess. And isn't it so wonderful they make you almost cry, more so in America than in any other country, because they had more indoctrination to do with swearing allegiance to a flag. Think about it, a piece of cloth with, with uh, again, the usual foundation myths attached to it. That always makes sure every country has a foundation myth where, where the founders walk on water and never go to the bathroom and don't get heartburn. The symbol of perfection. And generations were brought up because they had to be the new military police force for the world. And they grew up crying when they'd sing that nice song. Even though the other one was only written in about the, the 50s by a producer from Hollywood, which they're very fond of singing too. Because Hollywood is an intricate part of the culture creation industry. But getting back to Plato and how he said that culture could literally be grown. That's what culture means. And that's why a small group that's dedicated or brainwashed is called a cult. You're brainwashed. And you grow culture in petri dishes like bacterium. Your cult culture. And he said, literally, they could give you a whole different set of morals which are plastic, they're fluid, and train the people to believe them. And with one generation, they'd be doing the opposite of what they thought was good or bad only 20, 30 years ago. And the last ones to notice it are those who have adapted and lived through it. And I saw this growing up too, because I was really small at the time when the miniskirts were flourishing. And I remember looking at grandmothers and mothers and and daughters, granddaughters, and uh, one had a skirt down to her ankles, one had one up to about knee level. That's the type that was grown, or, or, or that uh, was introduced through Hollywood again, because it was the fashion industry goes with the movies. 
and that was my mother's generation, and then uh, their offspring had the miniskirts. And the ones with the miniskirts, as I was going to school, about five or six, they would be standing at the bus stop in little plastic coats and little plastic skirts and these kind of plastic boots freezing, turning blue. It was an odd thing because most of the plastic was white. It was a trend to be white. So you had blue and white. You had blue for the skin and and, wh- and they would not wear anything except what was pushed. did not want to be different. It's quite an amazing thing to realize how easy it is to target a group and make them comply. We've seen various trends of this back and forth, including the piercing of the body, all made trendy by Hollywood again, the fashion industry working in tandem, and the, the bare midriff during the winter, which is quite funny. But anything can be done, as Plato said. And many years ago, with the culture industries originating in Britain, with the main ones, the Tavistock Institute, which was the grandfather of intensive psychological indoctrination and studies for indoctrination to manipulate whole countries, whole nations of people by understanding their behavior. The Tavistock came out with the following, and I'll read it after these messages. international meetings to do with 
world population and this brave new world that they knew they'd bring in. Lenin knew it too. And all the big players that worked on the other side, all in tandem with each other, of course, like Bertrand Russell knew it too. They'd bring in this brave new world where you'd get a genderless type race. But first you had to destroy all idea of what normal was. And we adapt to what is normal. We are the most adaptive species on the planet. Plato talked about how adaptive we are. And the whole idea was to destroy what was normal, what served the old system, and then served the elite of the old system, too. Remember that marriage for life was brought in by the Catholic Church when they wanted a vast agricultural population with families, and the priest would match up who married who, and he'd say, well, Tommy, uh, or Maggie over there is the one that you should marry. And that was basically an order. It was a form of eugenics, which is well understood by the church that simply had been the old Roman Empire changing its hat. They understood what slavery was and how to breed good slaves. So they, they, they created marriage for life when they came into Europe. That was their first law. That once they gained power through force, because they sent militaries in, in ahead of them, and they also sent in missionaries, which were the softening up crew. They went into the they went into the tribes and told them to love their enemies and so on, and that God would 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 put them to hell if they had thoughts of killing or any nasty things like that. And uh, the softening up crew is fine, but it takes about a century, two centuries to really soften up people. So they often backed it up with the military. And Charlemagne was the big military leader, the first ordained king by the Vatican to be the army of the Vatican, to lead the army of the Vatican. And they converted people at the point of the sword. And the sword, as you notice, especially the type they used then, the long broadsword, or the real claymore, as they called it in Scotland, or the swath cutter, was a cross. depends on how you hold it. It's either upside down or the other way around, depending on how you view it. But the, the sword is a cross, and that's what led the Vatican and Christianity and through Europe was mass slaughter, and it never really stopped. But the first law they passed in Europe and every country they went into was this odd phenomena. Very odd, because the tribes didn't live like that. And it was marriage and marriage for life, because they wanted a feudal system where you'd have all these masses working below them on farms which they would never own. The whole idea, concept became strange, alien, that you'd actually own a farm because everything was owned by the king and he shared his loot with the barons and lords that became the overseers of all the farms. That's still in practice today, by the way, if you look into the royal families of Britain, they still have hundreds of tenant farmers that grow all their own food and they get paid peanuts, as even been in the newspaper, they pay them pittance wages, and they're tied to their jobs for life. But men, every so often, would rebel. And often, too, when they saw their wives and children in hardship, and they're pushed to the wall, that's when they'd rebel. And who would have thought, prior to World War II, except the elite, of course, who planned it that way, uh, that men would be pushed out of the picture and become laughing stocks? comedies 
in cartoons and be encouraged to take on a role you know, the beer drinking uh, silly guy uh, that's encouraged through all media he goes to work brings up children who don't respect him at all and who actually laugh at him and he's always dumber than the wife and even the youngest child will be brighter than the, the man that's how it's portrayed who would have thought they could have done it so quickly except those that planned it that way we mimic what we see and people who take on roles whether male or female mimic what we see too and they will treat people the way the people on in the movies and in the comedies they treat their spouse here's an article from Guardian Unlimited this was December the 5th 2007 dumbed down masculinity erases men from parenting and it says there are numerous valid alternatives to the conventional family unit but we are forgetting the value of male influence and then they promote a book here it goes on to say there are many things I remember fondly in my childhood Christmas is the advent countdown the silver milk bottle top decorations my formative rendering of Mary in the Nativity musical only a baby but from a very young age I was also aware that December was the month that told the world what a family ought to look like and that's the key what it ought to look like as the only child of a single parent who had never known her father growing up in a religiously conservative and quietly judgmental part of Scotland I was the only person in my primary class uh, what is it? One person I who had never known the, 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 the a father, and it says uh, she was only the only person too in that class whose parents were divorced. That was that was back then, you know, in the back, like the dark ages, you know, like like a long time ago. Of course, the happy hearthside tableau I used to imagine only appears so inviting because it is viewed from a distance. Within every family, however outwardly conventional, there exist the tensions and compromises and secret hurts as well as the love that distinguish our closest bonds. And in today's primary school, children with married parents are just as likely to be in the minority. That's within a span of 40-odd years. Turned right upside down, remember Plato again, always remember Plato. But as December comes around again, I remember my early dreams of what a proper family should look like and wonder how we're continuing recalibration of gender roles. Simple term, but think about it. How our continuing recalibration of gender roles and family structure will impact on contemporary children. At the end of last month, the Archbishop of York John Sintamu, alongside Cormac Murphy O'Connor, Britain's most senior Roman Catholic, denounced proposed changes to in vitro fertilization legislation as likely to undermine the contribution men make to families by removing the requirement for doctors to have a view to the child's need for a father. Sintamu attacked the proposals of evidence as a me-me consumerist culture which was intent on demoting fathers, well, I guess he's just noticed it. 
clearly these men are motivated by the resistance to the very idea of lesbian couples reproducing. Uh, this is obviously a bias that this woman has for writing that little last piece. I don't see why it should be. But I was struck by St. Tamu's comments about fatherhood having just retired, returned from a trip to the U.S., where I had been unsettled by the brouhaha around the publication of a book entitled Knock Yourself Up. And we're back with more knocking up after the following messages. prevented many from becoming the loving parents they long to be. 
This is not an argument against gay and lesbian parenthood, and a single woman who believes she's emotionally and financially secure enough to raise a child alone ought to have options. But nowadays, the ideology of choice is proving just as problematic as that of norm normativeness in the realm of the family, and it is necessary not retrograde to interrogate that. Certainly there is the non-negotiable disconnect between men and women's fertile lifespans, which means men have at least an extra decade to consider parenthood. Well, that used to be true, but I don't know where this author has been, because men's sperm count has been dropping like a stone since 1950 uh, by intent. But most men I know aren't sold on the idea of late 40s fatherhood. However, while women in their 30s are constantly interrogated about their fertility choices, men seldom are. This may be because popular culture has offered us an increasingly infantilized version of masculinity. Infantilized version of masculinity, isn't that the truth? Eh? From Nick Hornby's neurotic man-boys to the slacker dudes of Hollywood director Judd Apatow. Partnership and parenthood, responsibility and security are set up as emasculating rather than instrumental to adult flourishing. That means basically removing masculinity. And consumer culture works in tandem. Of course it does because it's part of the culture process with this trend thriving on the insecurities that drive us to buy more products. It's not the existence of lesbian parents that is downgrading fatherhood, but a culture that offers young men a dumbed-down version of masculinity and a rhetoric around parenting largely based on their absence. Given the histrionics of groups like Fathers for Justice and the incompetence of the Child Support Agency, fatherhood has become defined in the public mind as the experience of loss rather than involvement. Yet British men have never been so involved in bringing up their children and their understanding of the importance of a male presence in a child's life is advancing. I don't know about that. It need not be an individual tragedy to grow up without a father and a single female and lesbian parents are well aware that there are many alternatives to providing their children with a loving male influence. But it's a tragedy if we bring up boys in a culture that signals to them that they are ultimately expendable from the profound experience of parenthood. If you look at it further, of course, and it's only touching the surface, you won't go into the real nitty-gritty of it because, as I say, when you simply start knocking down what was norm before that served the, the same regime in a different era, but it's now a grown, a grown its usefulness, the whole idea is to put men out of the picture altogether. The only function they have at the moment is just to simply produce and consume like everyone else and to keep a military supplied with young men who aren't too bright. Young men haven't experienced the world and they've been brought up in video games and think it's all going to be very exciting. And surely, for goodness, the good guys never get killed in the movies. It's always the bad guys who can never shoot straight. So men really are, in a very real sense, superfluous in a society where where women are perfectly capable of taking care of themselves only only on this condition within this society as it stands right now. A society which has given 
science out there to the public to make things easier than building and everything else where the physical strength is no longer so necessary. So it's a conditional freedom. And that's the key to it because the lifestyle that's been given with, with almost an obsession with purchasing and having things has become the norm at the expense of relationships with people, deep relationships. Having things is far more important to most people. So the bonds, and this is the whole point of it all, the bonds that kept society together have been given up. As, as they knew at the top, they would give them up for another type of security which is based on the state or the system remaining in control and remaining the way that it is at present. Because when they turn off the money, and is, is now being, uh, are appearing in the newspapers from the top economists, the end of spend, spend, spend is over. And all those who helped to shape the present culture at the bottom, in other words, those who went along with it, will no longer be able to continue living the way they are at the moment. And that's, I'm talking about single people too. There'll be mayhem then, and then who's going to stand up for them when you have men that have been trained to have, to, to sit back and let others speak for them? They're afraid to speak, many of them, because they've been taught that they're second class citizens. And stupid. They've been taught they're very stupid. And their opinions really don't count so much. That's a fact. Because for 30, 40 years, special school lessons were given to the women to be assertive, which often means aggressive when you meet some of them. And the men have been taught that they were responsible for all the ills of the past. Quite an interesting new history indeed. Because most people who get their history from television and fantasy, the fantasies of Hollywood, don't know that 99% of the public in previous generations and centuries, the men were down mines or doing incredibly hard jobs. They were not living and, and dressing like peacocks, like the upper elite did with their frills and lace on their shirts. They had to work in all kinds of weather without the machinery. And women had it no different. Most of them had it no different either. So they weren't downtrodden. Survival was a necessity of having a family and offspring to help you with your farms. Absolute necessity. Read again the founding fathers and what they talked about in their own writings especially Jefferson, he went into that in great detail. It was necessary to have children. The woman survived with the male, the male survived with the woman, and they all survived with the children to help them. Back with more after the following messages. 